Uh, as you take your seats and you look at the time, and it's already 1.52 and you're thinking, oh no, he's just getting started. <laughs> Fear not, brothers and sisters. Um, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, we're reading verses 1 to 8. Uh, today we're concluding our series, uh, A Life Pleasing to God. And the aim of this series has been to really help you take a long and, and hard look at your own spiritual life to see if you are living in a way that's pleasing to God. And although this series is ending and maybe week after week I won't be up here through the word addressing this particular issue, uh, I'd like this to and encourage you uh, to have this be a constant reflection of the heart. Uh, especially as we move into the new year, that you constantly are reflecting on your own sp spiritual life, the status of your spiritual life, to see if indeed you are living a life that pleases God. We are closing by looking at a text we looked at two weeks ago, John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. And I've entitled the sermon, God's Pleasure in Affections. And so would you all arise as we receive and read God's holy word, which is a gift given to us. Hear now the reading of God's word. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And friends, could I pray one more time as we ask God's blessing now? Father, we're thankful for your word because your word is more than a book given to us by which we draw inspiration. It is the living word that is inspired. And because it is your word, when we hear it, when we digest it, when we eat it, when we feed upon it, we know that we are being fed and that there is something happening in us, especially as your Holy Spirit takes that very word and pierces our hearts. So would you do that this afternoon? Would you do it to each one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, from the most immature to the most mature? Feed us, Lord, with your word, and speak to us this afternoon. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As some of you may remember that years ago, there was a uh, Tootsie Pop commercial. And if you remember, it's a little cartoon of a boy walking around to Tootsie Pop and he's asking each uh, animal that he meets, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Center of a Tootsie Pop? If you remember the commercial. Now in the commercial, none of the animals know until they're finally directed to the wise old owl. And when the boy gets to the owl, the owl thinks about it. He says, that's a great question. He takes three licks and then he can't help it, but he he bites into the lollipop. And he looks at the boy and he says, oh, I guess it takes three licks. And the commercial ends, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? The world may never know. 
Well, we can ask a similar question today. How many looks does it take to get to the center of this passage? How long are we going to be in this passage? The world may never know. <laughs> well, today we're looking for a second time at this passage to try to understand more of its richness. Now we're taking another look because as we said, this text is such a beautiful text. If you remember, there are two other parallel accounts, one in Matthew 26 and one in Mark 14. And if you remember what's said in Mark 14, Jesus says about Mary these wonderful words. He says, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Jesus knew this event and how rich and powerful it would be in the history of God's people. And so it's worth looking at again and again. Now, we looked at this two weeks ago when we, we considered Mary's act of devotion, that she did this beautiful, wonderful thing for Jesus that required sacrifice and a servant-like attitude and utter humility. Now, that's what Mary did. And so what I want to do today is take a look under the hood to see the heart of Mary. And I want to consider with you how Mary got to a place where she was willing to give Jesus this kind of act of devotion. How Mary was able to be in a spiritual place where she was willing to serve Christ in this kind of way. And what we see is that it's all about Mary's affections for Jesus. Her love for Christ and her pursuit of him at all moments of her life. And I believe that God is pleased if he were to see that your affections are being stirred for him, that your affections are set on him, that your love and your desire is only and wholly for him. So here's our gospel truth. The gospel truth is this. Affections are stirred for Jesus the more you sit at his feet and pursue him. Affections are stirred for Jesus. Your longing, your desires are stirring for Jesus the more you sit at his feet and you pursue him. And so rather than having an outline, I just want to walk with you through this text a little bit and explain some of the things going on as we talk about this gospel truth. You know, the last time that I uh, visited Korea, I was in college, and I hadn't seen my family there in probably over 10 years. Uh, so I had last seen them in elementary school, and then I saw them last as a um, entering senior in college. And in that time period, as you can imagine, from elementary school to almost a senior in college, I grew a lot. And just as a point of reference, I have 26 cousins and 20 uncles and aunts, and uh, at that time, I was the tallest and the biggest of all of them, right? By far. Now I have one cousin who's 6'3", and we think he was found under a bridge or something. We don't know where that's from. Um, but that was only a couple years ago. At this point, I was the tallest and biggest in my family by far. And so naturally, when I arrived to Korea and all of my family saw me for the first time in 10 years, they kept asking me the same question over and over again. They would look at me and they would say, what the heck are they feeding you? <laughs> What do you guys eat in the U.S. that you're this big? And what I found really curious and really funny was uh, they all seemed to agree and be really satisfied with this answer. The reason I was so much bigger than, you know, their children was because uh, uh, you Americans uh, eat milk and cereal every morning, <laughs> and that's why you're so big. And that was probably true. But that question, what are you eating that you grew so much? It's an interesting question. When we look at what Mary does for Jesus here in this passage, we, we can ask a similar question. What was Mary doing that she grew so much in her love for Jesus? 
What was Mary being fed or what was she feeding herself that her affection for Jesus grew so much? Now, notice that what Mary does in this passage, it's not spontaneous. She wasn't inspired in this great moment of conviction to do this beautiful thing for Jesus. Serving him by anointing his feet with oil and wiping it with her hair was something that she planned. She brought the alabaster jar to the dinner. She wasn't walking around every day. It wasn't her everyday habit of carrying on her family inheritance with her. So this service for Jesus, it was premeditated. It was prepared. It was something that she had been longing to do. And the question is, how did she get there? How um, did her heart get set on such fire and passion for her Savior that she wanted to serve him in this incredible way? And this is such an important question. How did she get to this point? Because it's a question all of us ask. I want to do something beautiful for Jesus. How can I get to that point in my own life? How can I stir that kind of zeal and desire for Christ, my Savior? And I think the answers that we think that will get us to this point aren't quite the answers. You know, these are, this is eight verses in this passage, and I've read them over and over again. I've read them in multiple different translations. I've read the parallel accounts in Matthew. I've read them in Mark. And I can tell you this. Mary's affections for, for Jesus, they weren't sparked by reading a really, really good Christian book that someone told her to read. Mary's affections for Jesus, they weren't ignited through a hit YouTube sermon that she uh, came across that had millions of views. Mary's passion for Jesus wasn't set ablaze by attending a retreat or the latest Christian conference with all the famous speakers. You see, I, I think a lot of us, we kind of hope that something like this will spark and revive us spiritually. We're just looking for that one magic bullet, aren't we? Oh, this, if I go to this retreat, if I hear this speaker, if I read this book, hey, you should really watch this YouTube sermon. And we think that that will rejuvenate us spiritually in Christ. But none of that is what got married to the place where she was, and it really can't for us either. Instead, what we see that Mary's affections are constantly stirred because of her daily habits and discipline of her spiritual life. So do you want to know Mary's secret? It came from daily sitting at the feet of Jesus. It came from a lifestyle of drawing near to him and pursuing him. Now, why do I say that? Notice this detail in the story and actually becomes a pattern in Mary's life. Uh, verse 2 tells us that Lazarus and Jesus were reclining at this table. Now, if you're familiar with the customs of the time, uh, the people would eat leaning on their side and their feet would be stretched far away from the table. And you can imagine this scene. People are excited that Jesus is now back in Bethany. And while people are crowding around the table, they're all trying to rush to get a good seat. Mary's on the outskirts. Now, we're told that verse 3 says she anointed his feet, meaning that we, we can assume that she's sitting at his feet. So if the table is here and everyone is kind of leaning inward, Mary's on the outskirts around Jesus' feet. Now, I want you to pause and consider that with me. Because while everyone is jumping to get a space at the table and everyone's trying to get near Jesus, Mary is patiently letting people go ahead of her because she actually wants the best seat. Now, what's the best seat at a dinner? What's the best seat in order to get, you know, the best experience? 
Now, I think we have different answers to that, what the best seat is. Think about the last time we went to a wedding and and the reception after the cocktail hour, right? What's the best seat in the cocktail hour? And some of you may think, well, it's right where you got to, you got to identify where the the servers are coming out, right? Where the kitchen doors are opening and you just got to park yourself there. So you get the first dibs on everything that's coming out. For some of you, that's the best seat. And then there are others of you who say the best seat is anywhere in the room where you have eyesight of the bar. Right? As long as you have clear access to it, that's the best seat. Well, what's the best seat at Simon the leper's house? What's the best seat at this dinner? And it's not the seat closest to the kitchen, and it's not the seat at the head of the table, and it's not even the seat next to Jesus. It's not even the seat across from Jesus. According to Mary, the best seat is at the feet of Jesus. You see, this was Mary's favorite place to be. She made, she made it a habit of her life to always park herself at his feet, wherever he went. She was at his feet here in this dinner. And if you look at the chapter right before in John chapter 11, if you remember that story, it's about Lazarus. Lazarus is Mary's brother. And he's in Bethany and he is sick. And therefore, word goes to Jesus, Lazarus sick, would you come and heal him? But we're told that Jesus takes a little bit of extra time and that he slowly makes his way to Bethany. But by that time, Lazarus is dead. He's passed away and the whole family is grieving. And here's what it says in John chapter 11, verses 31 to 32. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. In the midst of her grief and distress, when Mary hears Jesus has come, she gets up and she goes to him. But where does she end up? She ends up at the greatest place of solace and comfort. She ends up at his feet. At his feet is where she finds refuge. It's in his presence, at his feet, that she wants to be. And upon seeing her weeping for her brother's passing, Jesus is deeply moved in his heart. Jesus is moved in his spirit, and he weeps too. And Mary's comfort came at the feet of the one who wept with her, who entered into her sorrow and entered into her sadness. And you can imagine that as she's at Jesus' feet and she's weeping, she's feeling the very tears of the Son of God falling down on her own head as Jesus joins her with his sobs in a perfect harmony as they grieve together the death of a loved one. You see, Mary loved to be at Jesus' feet. There's no place that she would rather be than in his presence. And you see this again in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus enters the home of Martha and Mary. And on that occasion, Luke narrates this in Luke 10. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. You see, Mary has this bad habit. She cannot be peeled from his feet. It's at the feet of Jesus that it's a place of adoration and affection. You see, Martha, her sister, is preoccupied. How am I going to feed Jesus? But Mary is just thinking one thing. How am I going to be fed by Jesus? And in the end, we're actually told that Martha chose the better portion. I'm sorry, Mary chose the better portion. That Mary is the one who clung to Jesus because he had the words of life. And so it's interesting seeing this pattern in Mary's life, that in all circumstances, she loved to be at the feet of Jesus. 
Right? In Luke 10, she was at his feet to listen and to learn. In John 11, she was at his feet to cry and to weep. In John 12, she was at his feet to serve and to worship. And I believe it was his constant desire to be at the feet of Jesus, to be in his presence, that her affection for him began to grow more and more, to get more and more solidified. You know, Mary was able to break this alabaster jar for Jesus because she had developed a habit, a routine, a rhythm of life where she found herself falling in love with him. Now, if you take a look at your own life, what are the habits or the routines reveal about the things that you love? Who do you love? What are you going to in order to, to listen and learn? Who do you turn to when you cry and weep? What are you looking to to serve and to worship? Now, I want you to notice this as well. John records this story a bit differently than Matthew and Mark. In Matthew, he records it against the whole, all of the disciples, Jesus against all the disciples. All the disciples say, what waste? In Mark, Mark records it against uh, Mary and the bystanders, the observers. They all scold her. But in here, John chooses to focus on Judas, and so they're kind of juxtapos- juxtaposed. Right, Judas is here in this story. He's a disciple. But how are Mary and Judas so different? Right, how can Judas complain, why was this ointment not sold, and be so concerned about the cost of the thing, while Mary is out here pouring out everything, and she's only concerned that Christ receives everything? Right, how is it that, that Mary is breaking alabaster jars in order to give freely, but then Judas is over here, and he's breaking into the money bag to take freely? And I think this is the answer. Judas was always around Jesus, but Mary was always with Jesus. Judas's heart grew colder because he only followed Christ for the benefits he could receive. But Mary's heart grew warmer because she followed Christ because he was the benefit. And this is why Mary was able to perceive actually a truth that nobody else is able to perceive. Even the disciples are blind to this truth. So in verse 7, Jesus says, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. You see, Jesus had often spoke about his death. He had spoken about how he was going to die and resurrect, and nobody seemed to understand. Even the disciples didn't understand, but somehow Mary understood. Mary knew that this anointing had something to do with his day of burial. She understood. She had anticipation, and that's why she anointed the body. Now, how did she get there? And I don't think it's because Mary had greater insight that Mary was smarter, Mary was more educated, Mary was more deductive. I think it's because she spent time with Christ. She really listened to what he said, and she knew his heart. And this is why Jesus actually jumps to her defense. This is why Jesus approves of what Mary does. This is why Jesus says, all of you, shut your mouths. You who are complaining about what she's doing, you don't understand. I'm pleased with her. I'm pleased with her heart. I'm pleased with her affections. Do you think Jesus is pleased with your affections? Do you think Jesus is pleased with where you have placed your hopes and your desires? What has won your heart over? What are you desiring? What does fill your mind? What what do you want to be around or with? What are you willing to sacrifice for? 
The question is, is it Jesus? You know, friends, the reality is every day, every morning, we will find our feet, ourselves at the feet of something. In adoration, in awe, in wonder, in worship. Some of you will find yourself at the feet of your career. And some of you will find yourself at the feet of your children. And some of you will find yourself at the feet of your reputation. You find yourself at the feet of acceptance by others. Some of you will find yourself at the feet of comfort, financial security, a physical well-being. Where do you find yourself at the feet of? And how often do you find yourself at the feet of the Savior? Sitting near him. Waiting near him. Dwelling in his presence. You see, Mary knew the essence of loving Jesus was not to work for him, but to walk with him. Do you know that? Mary knew that the essence of loving Jesus was not to be busy for him, but to just be with him. Do you know that? And here's my exhortation. How can you fit, how can you sit at the feet of Jesus and begin to stir your affections for him? And, and the answer is, is, is real easy. It's through the ordinary means of grace. To sit at his feet, to sit in his presence, to pursue him with word and prayer. Word and prayer. Because listen, it's through the word that you hear God's voice and it's through prayer that he hears your voice. Word and prayer. Word and prayer. This is not legalistic. This is the simple way of communing with our God to sit at his feet. When I read his word, I'm hearing his voice. Oh Lord, speak to me. You read his word, you hear his voice. Oh Lord, hear my cries. How do you do that? You pray and he hears your voice. It's a two-way conversation for you to grow your affections for Christ. You know, as we close 2018 and we begin a new year, do you want your relationship with the Lord to grow more than it did this past year? And in fact, if, if you're saying yes and, 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 and that's really your desire, actually, that's too small of a desire. You shouldn't want 2019 to just be a better year than 2018. You should want 2019 to be the best year of your life where you are growing and overflowing in love with Jesus. And if you want that to be the case, it's so easy. Find yourself and plant yourself at the feet of Jesus every morning. Because I could tell you this, if you keep your Bible closed and your prayer life on pause, your affection for Jesus will only grow colder and colder and colder until it will smolder out. If you're waiting for this magical moment where you'll be zapped into loving Jesus more, then you may be waiting for a really long time. If you're waiting for this one sermon that I'm going to preach that's just going to rejuvenate you, then just give up now. <laughs> Affections for Jesus, they grow through the ordinary means of pursuing him as you read his word and you hear his voice and you pray to him as he hears your voice. And so let me encourage you to make a commitment for 2019 to daily find yourself sitting at the feet of Jesus, to pursue him in the immersion in his word and intimacy in his prayer. Pray those things. God, this year, I want to sit at your feet. I want to be immersed in your word. I want to be intimate with you in prayer. I want to be immersed in your word. I want to be intimate with you in prayer. Let that be the desires, your goals, your resolutions 
your heart for this upcoming year. Now let me close with this. In verse eight, Jesus says, for the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus is alluding to the fact that soon he's going to die and he's going to go to the cross for our sins. He's going to resurrect for our hope and he's going to ascend into heaven for our intercession. And Mary had the gospel motivation to love Christ for what he was about to do for her. But we have the gospel motivation to love Christ for what he has already done for us. You see, we have a greater motivation than Mary ever did because Mary looked forward in hope to the finished work, but we look back in certainty to his finished work, accomplished on the cross for us to save and redeem us. We pursue and we sit at the feet of the one who actually had such great affections for you that he was willing to give up his life. You see, you understand his great affections for us. We sit in the word and we read about all that Christ has done for us. And we let the Holy Spirit then stir in us great affections for him. And I believe, I truly believe, Cornerstone, as we begin this new year, 2019 together, with the two goals of being immersed in his word and intimate with him in prayer, then our affections for Jesus will set Lansdale on fire. Let's pray. I'd like to just close by inviting you to take a moment to respond. Perhaps you can pray a prayer of commitment to the Lord. A commitment not to to sit at the feet of these other things you are daily pursuing and chasing, but to learn to sit at the feet of Jesus, immersed in his word and intimate with him in prayer. Would you take this moment now as we respond to the Lord? Amen. Saints, would you receive God's benediction? Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father Almighty and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you both now and forevermore. Amen. Hear the words of dismissal. Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace, friends.